You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in. We have a great podcast lined up for today discussing ethics and AI with my guest, Ben Dayanim, who delivered a session called AI Legal and Policy Considerations and Landmines to Avoid at our RSA conference in 2021. Today, we're looking at what's changed or is continuing to evolve in AI legislation and policies. Before we do that, it's my pleasure to let you know that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask Ben to take a moment to introduce himself so that we can dive into today's topic. Ben? Great. Thank you so much, Casey. It's great to be here. Um, and as you indicated, I had the privilege of speaking about AI issues at the last RSA conference, which was virtual last year. And I'm looking forward to addressing the issue again today with you and then also in person at the RSA conference in San Francisco in June. I'm very excited for that. Um, I am an attorney with the law firm of Paul Hastings in Washington, D.C., where I chair the privacy and cybersecurity practice as well as the advertising and gaming practice and also work extensively in fintech and related regulatory areas, and all of which I have occasion to deal with artificial intelligence issues. So it's a, it's a great topic to discuss, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about it, too. And you are such a great supporter of RSA Conference, and we are definitely so appreciative of all that you do. I appreciated your session from 2021 and the layered definitions of AI that you provided. One was that they may solve tasks requiring human-like perception, cognition, planning, learning, communication, or physical action. In general, the more human-like the system within the context of its tasks, the more it can be said to use artificial intelligence, making things really relatable and understandable there. You also asked the question, what is the big deal? as a lead into recognizing our increased reliance on AI in all aspects of life. You know, we're nine months out, and I know that not much has changed, but certainly things are evolving. So I'm curious, Ben, if you can talk to our listeners about your opinion on the ways in which our reliance on AI continues to increase and whether that is commensurate with our understanding of its impact on security and privacy. That's a great way, I think, to open the discussion, Casey. Yes, firstly, in one sense, not a lot has changed in the last nine months. Um, But in another sense, there has been substantial change simply by virtue of the increasing momentum behind the development of different applications that utilize aspects of AI. And as as you indicated, there are different ways of understanding what AI means, Um, uh, sort of a broader perspective that looks at AI as a essentially a substitute human, um, and then a narrower way of looking at it, which is basically using software to address specific applications or achieve specific outcomes that are human-defined, but that are accomplished in an automated fashion without human intervention. And in that narrow sense, um, industries across the board are continuing to progress and explore uh, ways in which they can utilize those types of technologies. I just the other day had a conversation with a gaming client, a video game client, 
that is looking to utilize AI and through a range of marketing and other applications. Not something you ordinarily would think of, at least I wouldn't, when thinking about potential uses of AI, not particularly anyway, but it shows you how universal the interest is. At the same time, you have governments uh, that also are continuing to exploit or that are developing greater concern about other governments' use of AI. So you have both of those parallel streams. On the one hand, you've got the commercial um, stream, which is really moving ahead quite rapidly and looking at how better to utilize AI to achieve better ROI. And then you have the government side where from a national security and a law enforcement and other um, set of perspectives, governments are evaluating uh, that as well. And as you might imagine, given the diversity of governmental structures and um, political systems around the world, coming to very different conclusions. So it's, it's, it is and it's an exciting time. There is a lot going on. Um, our laws are not keeping up with that. We'll talk about that, I think, in a little bit. Um, but AI itself is uh, rapidly evolving. That's so interesting. I never would have thought about AI in marketing. That is a really cool marriage there of sectors that I never would have thought about. Um, Can you talk about this equation between AI and human behavior? In your session last year, you used the self-driving car as an example to help us understand the process of creating the moral machine. You referenced MIT's crowdsourcing ethics effort, and you asked the question, should we expect more from AI than we do from each other? I would love to start (laughs) with that as what should our expectations of AI be? So I love the MIT Moral Machine and self-driving car example. I mean, it's just, it's the coolest example. It's such a great way of crystallizing um, the issues that AI can present in a very straightforward fashion. I did use it last year. I'll probably use it again at the presentation in June because it's just such a wonderful example, right? It's the, just for the, those listeners who aren't familiar with it, and I encourage them to all visit the MIT Moral Machine site. It presents you with a number of scenarios where you have a self-driving car um, heading down the road, and there are two lanes in the road. Each lane has some number of individuals, either people or animals or both, in the lane and you have the choice, do you want the car to continue in the lane in which it is driving and hit the the individuals in that lane or swerve to the other lane and hit the other individuals? And they mix it up. So you'll have older people, younger people, Nobel Prize laureates, convicted felons, children, dogs, cats. It's just really such a great set of scenarios, and you have to make very difficult choices. And the idea behind that, of course, is, well, you want to pick the driver out of the car and put the car in control. Um, How do you want the car to make those decisions, right? Somebody's got to program the car and make those value judgments for it, and it's not easy. (laughs) And those are things that when you're driving the car yourself, you just, you don't think about in in an intellectual way, right? You're driving the car down the street, and that moment, and you're making an instinctive choice that's informed by a a large number of questions, including your own self-preservation, by the way. And so it's not something that I think many people have sat down and thought through, what what is the right choice in each of these circumstances? And And so that's why when I ask that question, you know, 
um, do we really want AI to be human? I mean, do we really want AI to make decisions the way a human would make them? I'm not sure that's the right answer. In fact, I, I don't think it is the right answer because I know how I would make that decision. It would not be rational at all. Um, and it may or may not be the right decision, but it wouldn't be because I had engaged in, in a deliberative process to arrive at it. And so we really have to think about that. So that's, that's the moral question, right? You know, how do we think about um, AI versus humanity in the moral sense? There's also just the pure sense of efficacy. And again, using self-driving cars, I think, is very helpful in clarifying that. Human drivers are not great. We, we have large, you know, high rates of accidents. Um, people get tickets all the time. Uh, I don't know about you, but those speed cameras get me regularly, right? Um, so when we think about how effective or how desirable uh, a self-driving car would be, what are we measuring it against? Are we measuring it against perfection or are we measuring it against current reality? And that same question applies across the board, not just in the, in the vehicular context, but, you know, and take, take, um, uh, job applications, which is, uh, you know, acquired, uh, attracted a lot of attention in recent years because there have been tools that have been developed to screen interviewees through the initial round through use of AI, right? And there's been a lot of concern. And in fact, some states, I think I talked about this last year, have passed laws that regulate the use of AI when it comes to job interviews to try to protect against discrimination. Very important objective, a very important societal goal. We want to eliminate as much as possible steps that discriminate. Um, however, you know, people discriminate. And so when deciding whether a particular AI is an acceptable substitute for a human interviewer, what standard are we trying to hold it to? So those are really hard questions. They're not easy answers there, but I think we need to be honest in asking ourselves those questions and not contrast an AI solution against an unattainable perfection that doesn't exist today. Right, right. I've definitely heard about drivers like you that get these speed stops, but uh, <laughs> not experienced that myself. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> you live in Massachusetts, I think so, you said. Massachusetts drivers are great. I've had personal experience. Right, right. <laughs> Infamously so, yes. Yes. Uh, ben, you walked attendees through a series of different guidelines, principles, or even proposed legislations, including the FTC's guidance on AI. Where are we now with legislation, and where are we going? So we're not really that much further along uh, now than we were nine months ago. I, I believe there probably have been, well, there's been a lot of bills introduced at both the state and federal level. So, uh, you know, dozens and dozens. But in terms of laws that have passed, I think there have maybe been a, a handful of states that have passed laws, but not very many. Um, and on the federal level, uh, there really have, have has not been much legislative activity at all. There was one um, a bill that, that passed into law that requires the Office of Management and Budget to establish AI training materials for the federal workforce to help different federal agencies better evaluate the risks that are attendant to the use of AI. But um, that's really about it, I believe, in terms of legislation. There's some other bills pending. There's a bill that would establish an AI um, hygiene working group um, that would direct the federal government to consider the risks associated with AI when acquiring AI as part of the federal contracting process, things like that. And in fact, Senator Gary Peters and Rob Portman have been uh, sort of leaders on those kinds of issues. There have been a number of measures, I should say, that have passed that promote AI 
or that are designed to study the use of AI or study foreign actors, particularly China's use of AI. But in terms of the issues that we're talking about, there really hasn't been a lot um, from a legislative perspective. However, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, NIST, has been directed to develop a framework for thinking about AI uh, and the risks that it presents. And that actually has the potential to be quite consequential. I don't know exactly when they're expected to produce their draft framework. They submitted a request, I believe they put out a request for comments back in July or August, I think it was July of last year. Um, but um, I don't know what their time frame is for, for actually releasing something. But that, I think, will be the next significant regulatory development, even though it's not technically a regulation, but, you know, administrative development, I would say, at the federal level. And it'll be interesting to see how that, uh, what that looks like, how that unfolds. Yeah, it is really interesting to see the way that regulations and legislations are sort of in response to technology's development rather than the forethought of, like, what's coming down the pike that we should prepare for so that when we develop these technologies, we know the answer to these moral and ethical questions of how we want them to impact our lives, right? You did mention the NIST framework, and it's interesting. We had another podcast this month. Our theme is focused on AI and ML, and uh, we had Ann Townsend from the MITRE Corporation who was talking about their new ARCS framework for um, artificial intelligence in terms of implementing smart cities and development of smart cities. Are there any frameworks other than NIST and ARCS that are important for developers to be using if they are thinking about including AI-enabled technologies into their products? Yes. Um, so there are a number of um, like self-regulatory types of frameworks or, you know, academic frameworks, but I think the one that is the most significant is the European Union's framework, which actually is a regulation um, and which was uh, released in April of last year, so shortly after RSA last year. And that framework does set out some, some fairly detailed guidance on how AI can be deployed. And because of the regulation will apply Whenever the NAI system is used in connection with a European Union resident, it will impact U.S. companies that operate internationally, much as GDPR does in the, in the privacy area. And I think that's a really important framework. Um, what that framework does is it establishes, first, a, a very short list of prohibited practices or prohibited uses for AI systems. And those are, for the most part, I think, things that one would expect to be prohibited. So the first is um, the use of AI to deploy subliminal techniques to distort a person's behavior. We all have seen, I think, movies where there have been subliminal messages sent through television or through other technologies in very uh, ominous and, um, and forbidding ways. And so I think we can all relate to why that would be a prohibited use. A second prohibited use is using AI to target human vulnerabilities, again, causing people to distort their behavior in a way that would cause them harm. You know, something that preys on the elderly or preys on those with mental or intellectual disabilities, things like that. Again, very intuitively understandable as a prohibited, uh, as what would be prohibited. 
The third and the fourth, I think, are quite interesting. The third prohibits the use of AI as a measure for evaluating the general trustworthiness of a person based on their social behavior mm. with uh, you know, development of a social score that would then lead to better or worse treatment for that person or for groups of people. Um, that, to me, clearly seems targeted at, what, you know, at what's been widely reported uh, to be happening in China, where the Chinese government uses the social personality, I forget what they call it, but something like the social personality score based on observations of individual citizens, and then those citizens receive greater or fewer privileges based upon that score. So the EU framework says, can't use AI for that. Uh, and then the fourth prohibited use is the use of real-time remote biometric identification systems in public spaces for law enforcement purposes except insofar as the use is strictly necessary. So the exception may end up swallowing the rule. We'll have to see. But that obviously has been a topic of a lot of controversy here in the States, too, where with some municipalities and others saying we don't, you know, we don't want our law enforcement agencies using biometrics in this way. Um, so that's interesting. And those are the sort of the prohibited areas. And then the regulation sets out a long list of high-risk AI systems. High-risk AI systems really are the focus of the regulation. And um, if you are working in a high-risk risk system, then you have to comply with a number of safeguards to ensure that your AI system complies with the fundamental principles that, you know, that the EU has viewed as important. And those are things like systemic and continual risk management and analysis of data to ensure the system is operating the way it's supposed to operate, data quality and data governance, record keeping, transparency as to what the, you know, how the AI system operates and, and what its objectives are so that third parties parties, including you know, the, the objects of the AI system, the consumers or employees, can understand what it's supposed to be doing. Human oversight with a right to appeal, you know, adverse decisions, uh, cybersecurity, things like that. Um, again, those are a lot of those are, are elements that you see in other frameworks, but that now are laid out for the first time in a binding regulation. And then, of course, there's low, there's low risk uh, AI systems, which really are not subject to very much control at all. But the bulk of what people are really interested in and, and are concerned about would be these high risk systems. Uh, and then the, the teeth behind this regulation um, are that um, the violation of the framework can result in significant penalties, including fines of up to 6% of worldwide annual revenues. Um, so again, it's very much like GDPR in the way that they are approaching this. Um, and so I do think developers... Of, you know, with companies of any size, with any international scope that's, that you know, that touch on Europe, need to be aware of that and be building to comply with it. Yeah, yeah. And I know that one of the other concerns related to AI that you touched upon in your talk and even alluded to in this conversation is the ability to combat bias in AI and accountability, but that it's mostly ethics that is driving the accountability rather than legislation. So I'm wondering if this has evolved at all under our new administration here in the U.S. and in what ways or has it or in what ways does it need to? It's true that it's ethics that is driving uh, accountability in AI. If you focus on AI-specific regulation, because there isn't really very much, right? And so, from that perspective, yes, it's it's ethics-driven. Um, but when it, when you talk about bias, there are general prohibitions on discrimination. Um, and if you violate those prohibitions, whether you're doing it directly or through AI, you can be held responsible. So we have not seen any federal initiatives um, of which I am aware 
there anyway on this front specifically. But that doesn't mean that you are free to be biased or free to discriminate through AI. It just means that general principles would apply. And as I, I think I mentioned in my talk last year, um, federal regulators have emphasized that point and said, essentially, what I just said, that you can't discriminate simply because you're using AI. Um, at the state level, there have been some state laws um, in a few states that I think, I believe Illinois is one, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the others off the top of my head, that have passed legislation dealing with discrimination in AI in the context of employees and, and, and job applicants. Um, but we have not seen a lot of federal movement there yet, and we haven't seen any binding regulations that are AI-specific. We've just seen things like the FTC's guidance that, as I, that, that, I, you know, that I talked about last year, that make that point, that, that general principles still apply. You know, it, and a good analogy is uh, in the crypto world, uh, often you'll hear people less so now than, you know, a couple years ago, but even now, every once in a while, you'll hear people make the contention that, well, general laws that apply, you know, don't apply to crypto. So even though, you know, X may be illegal if I were using dollars, it's not illegal with crypto, which is totally not true, right? Um, the same, same laws apply. You, you can't escape the laws by moving into crypto. Um, similarly here, too, you can't escape the, the general laws by moving into AI. Uh, you, you know, if it's illegal for you to discriminate against someone in person, you can't do it through a machine. Yeah. It's such a fascinating conversation to me, and, and I keep going back to, with every response you're giving, I keep going back to this question of what's the big deal, and do we want AI to be human or even better than human, right? And this question of, is that even possible to achieve? Because you know, while there are outright laws against discrimination, discrimination can, be, can also be so very subtle, and bias can be so very subtle, right? And so how do we detect that? And even more so, what are some of the security and privacy implications of using AI-enabled technologies? Yeah, this is really an interesting aspect of AI that I think really in some ways is among the most significant. And it's because one thing that AI does is it enables a larger pool of data to be useful, right? There, there's so much information about us that's out there, and part of what has made us relatively safe, relatively private, I mean, you know, how private we are, you know, it, it may be a matter of debate, is that it's not all usable. In, in some ways, right, if you think about the way things were 50 years ago, we all had our information in file cabinets, and the file cabinets were distributed across, you know, who knows how many different institutions, companies, universities, government agencies, uh, our, you know, former high schools, doctors' offices, and it was all out there, and it was all, you know, uh, you know, um, if someone could grab a hold of it, um, comprehensive and could paint quite an interesting picture about us, but it was in paper and was in a bunch of different file cabinets, and so nobody worried about it because who was going to be able to go around and pluck those folders out of all those file cabinets and then digest all that information and, and do something with it that was harmful to us. Well, that hasn't been true for a while, and with AI, it's becoming even less true because with AI, the software has the ability to digest and draw inferences from such large volumes of data that it does raise potential concerns about individuals' privacy in ways that, you know, really haven't been as directly presented previously. And so I do think that is the 
most significant privacy-related implication of AI. And then, of course, the related security piece of that is if all the data is centralized in one place, then all the data is centralized in one place. <laughs> so that creates potential security issues. Um, and uh, and that's something, again, I think we need to think about it. But I also would, you know, not to sound repetitive, make the point I just made a moment ago. The same laws apply, right? GDPR applies to AI. CCPA the California's Consumer Privacy Act and CPRA, which will take effect next year, apply to AI. Um, you can't circumvent those obligations by delegating them to a machine. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. And as legislators and regulators think about whether new legislation is necessary or new regulation is necessary to deal with AI, they should remember that we have legislation and regulation. And you know, my suggestion is that generally, you should look to regulate or legislate the underlying issue, discrimination, privacy, security, rather than the medium by which that issue is raised, which in this context is AI. Because if you, if you try to address it through the medium rather than through the objective, you'll find that your legislative or regulatory approach is outdated the day after it's released. And that's a problem we have often with our legislative and regulatory structures. And it's one I think that you know if we focus on the objective, we can help to avoid. Right, yeah. I had an old colleague when I was a teacher, and she used to say, you know, we need fewer rules. The more rules you have, the more opportunity there are to break them, right? So have have that underlying rule that is applicable in a variety of situations, and then you don't have to worry about too many rules being broken. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a great conversation. I, I love talking about ethics and morality and uh, its intersection with technology. So this has been great for me. Listeners, to find products and solutions related to artificial intelligence, we invite you to visit rsiconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist you with your specific needs. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC, and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round. And thanks for joining us. It was my pleasure, and I hope to see many of the listeners in San Francisco in June. Be well, everyone.